Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. First up, it's author Eva Marie Everson bringing some insight into the operation of the root of bitterness and the power of forgiveness in her Christmas novella centered around a family's special Christmas ornaments. And with some insight on navigating family relationships, including in-law challenges during the holidays, you'll be hearing from Aaron Smalley of Focus on the Family. And coming up on this edition of the Intersection Podcast, it's author and speaker Sandra Peoples of Key Ministry, sharing from her own experience about raising a special needs child, providing encouragement for parents in a similar situation. Then it's Michael Gardner of Christian Care Ministry, of which MediShare is an arm, he talks about healthcare trends and the valid option of families using a Christian healthcare sharing ministry to handle medical expenses. Finally, there seems to be a never-ending release of news about certain people being blocked from social media, and action seems to be unfairly meted out against conservatives, including Christian conservatives. Scott Whitlock of Newsbusters, an arm of the Media Research Center, offers analysis. This is the intersection of production of The Meeting House, and I'm Bob Crittenden. Eva Marie Everson has a new Christmas novella centered around a fractured family's set of Christmas ornaments. In the book, The Ornament Keeper, she illustrates how bitterness can work to destroy relationships, but how forgiveness can bring healing. Here now is Eva Marie Everson. This is a story about uh, Jackson and Felicia um, Morgan, who have been married for 20 years. They have three children. And uh, this is the first Christmas that they will not be together because Jackson and Felicia separated back in the summer. Um, Felicia is holding on to uh, a seed of bitterness and anger and hurt from before they even married that she's not aware she's holding on to. But um, th- th- she's so crushed by the fact that you know, they're, they're not together. The family is not together, even though really she is the, the catalyst for that. Um, that she tells her children that they're not going to put up a Christmas tree. They're not going to do Christmas decorations or any of those things. And her children are very upset. And they talk her into doing that. And, and uh, she brings out a bin, a very special ornament. Um, each one symbolizes a year that she and her husband spent together. Um, that every year at Christmas from the first year that they were married and they were so dirt poor, they, they didn't even have two nickels to rub together. Or as my aunt says, you know, they uh, have to squeeze a nickel so tight that the Indian runs off with the buffalo. Um, he would give her an ornament that commemorated the year. And so as she's taking those out, it's retelling the story of how their their marriage and their family flourished and then how it began to fall apart. And you, when you look back on it, you could always see that there was a slight fissure in the, in the foundation of their, their marriage, but it's just this impossibility of figuring out what it is until, of course, we get to the end. And it's a Christmas novella, so, of course, everybody lives happily ever after. But um, uh, I wanted to express through this story my feelings on The Root of Bitterness and how how vitally important it is that every day we ask God, if there's anything that I'm holding against another human being, please reveal it to me so that, you know, I can confess that to you and I can offer them forgiveness. Jesus said at the very end of 
the um, Lord's Prayer, when he was teaching his disciples the Lord's Prayer, his last word was not amen. <laughs> his, he said, um, you know, that we are to ask that the Father forgives us as we forgive those who trespass against us. And then he says, you know, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then there is that, you know, that is the kingdom, the power, and the glory thing that we always say. But Jesus continued by saying that by, in the same measure that we forgive others, God will forgive us. And I think it's very interesting that those two things about forgiveness are, sand, are the sandwich between the lead us not into temptation. And, and so this was my way of telling um, and, and teaching how important forgiveness is in our lives. Hmm. Tell me what, what inspired this idea for you. Well, um, a couple of things. Uh, the, the first one was actually this was a story that I had in mind some years ago, but instead of ornaments, um, I, I, was, I was thinking of something else that, you know, would trigger memories. Um, but it was a story that was pitched. It, it didn't get picked up. And, and, um, and so, you know, there, there you have it. <laughs> and I just, I just filed it away. I, I didn't worry about it. I just, I just filed it away. Um, and uh, the, the, the other thing is I am one of those children who, who had to deal with, you know, okay, you know, going to daddy's, going to mother's, going to daddy's, going to mother's and that kind of thing. And, um, and, and I saw what that um, confusion can do to kids. I mean, I lived it, you know, and then uh, I married a man with children and I saw, I, then I saw it again secondhand, so to speak. Um, but I also, there was a, there was someone in my life, um, very special in my life, who was much like Felicia. She had that root of bitterness that she had trouble letting go of. And, and it, when it sprouted, you know, it was like it, it was lying dormant under the soil and then something came along and fertilized it and it, it popped right through the soil and it nearly destroyed her until she realized what it was. And then she gave it over to God and, and it was, it was just a wonderful story from that perspective, but it, it had been like 25 years that it, it had been lying there. And, uh, and mm. that was, that was really when it hit me so hard how important forgiveness is. Eva Marie Everson here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to the website evamarieeversonauthor.com. Next on this edition of The Intersection Podcast, it's strategic marriage spokesperson for Focus on the Family, Erin Smalley. She discussed with me how to navigate through family relationships during the Christmas holiday season and how marriage couples can blend their respective traditions together. From that conversation, this is Aaron Smalley. First of all, I want you to set up the landscape. You and Greg have extensive experience in areas of marriage. So tell me about what you hear from married couples as far as what some of the major challenges they face during the Christmas season as far as making these family arrangements. Yeah, you know, I, I actually see private practice clients as well. And with it's been interesting because over the last few weeks, I've had several clients come back in to specifically talk about, you know, the upcoming holiday and working with them through some anxiety, some depression over entering into the holiday season. So it's important that we recognize that if you're if you're struggling right now, you are definitely not alone. 
this is a challenge for many people, even when they have the best of the best in-laws. It can be a challenge. So do you find that it has to do, I, I would imagine location has to be a very big deal when you talk about married couples. And I know that you do some work with newlyweds and really trying to blend those family traditions. But then when you think about, well, where are we traveling? Where We're traveling with kids. How do we make that work out? What are the, the living arrangements during that period of time? So so it seems like, I mean, it's, it's almost like you need to hire a logistical planner to, to maybe work out some some of these things it would seem yeah for sure it is it is um very difficult because um there's you're blending two different families of origin when you get married and it doesn't matter if you've been married one month or one year or 10 years you're still blending two different sets of traditions two different preferences two different personalities and amidst all of that, we were talking about this before we started, that things change. And so as you settle into a routine, well, then, you know, you have kids. Well, and then those kids become teenagers. I know for us, right, this year we, are, we have a son that plays basketball in high school. And guess what? We can't travel because they practice basketball over um, the Christmas break. So there's things change. And in, in, even on the other extreme that – you know, grandparents will pass away, parents will pass away, people will divorce. So things change. So it's a constant communication between a husband and a wife of how are we going to do it this year? Each year planning strategically, what's a win for you? What's a win for me? We both matter. We're teammates. So how do we do this in a way that feels good to both of us? All right, so the couple sits down and plans out the, the Christmas holiday season. Then would you say that there is a degree of, if I can use this word, selling the idea to the various sets of parents and or grandparents or relatives? And how is that done? Yeah, you know, it's important that first you and your spouse are on the same page and that you're a unified front that you recognize we are teammates, we're a team, we're going to figure something out that feels good to both of us, to all of us. And there's not going to be any divisiveness or splitting. We're going to go to, we always encourage whoever the biological child is to lead the conversation with the biological parent to say, hey, we're looking at our Christmas plans this year. This is what we've come up with. Would this work for you? We, we would love to have some time with you. You know, maybe it's that we're going to spend Thanksgiving with one, Christmas with another. Maybe last year we traveled to you. This year you're traveling to us. Whatever it is. And just to start that conversation. I encourage couples to definitely present it from, you know, we so enjoy our time with you and we so value you. So we really want to have this conversation to figure out what works for everybody. Aaron Smalley here on The Intersection. The Focus on the Family website is focusonthefamily.com. This is The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House, and you can find out more through meetinghouseonline.info or go to the programming section at faithradio.org. You'll find a link to the media center marked Meeting House On Demand through which you can listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured here on The Intersection. 
You can also subscribe to the Intersection Podcast and have it delivered to your podcast receiving software, including iTunes, on a weekly basis. You can also find the Intersection Podcast through the Faith Radio app. Learn more when you visit faithradio.org. And when you visit the Meeting House homepage, you'll find links to two blogs. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. The other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House. You can also follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. And there is a link to video content. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info or go to the programming section of faithradio.org. Executive editor for Key Ministry, Sandra Peoples, shared about her own experiences of having a son and sister with special needs as she relates in her book, Unexpected Blessings, The Joy and Possibilities of Life in a Special Needs Family. From a recent conversation, this is Sandra Peoples. When we got our son's diagnosis, he was three years old, and my parents were two of the first people I called, and I I just remember my dad you know, this this big sigh, because he knew the challenges that I would face, but he also knew the blessings that we would encounter, and the way that God would grow us, and the way he would encourage us in different ways, but, you know, there's no denying that it it can be a hard road at times, and that um, it can be a lonely road, especially if you can't find a church family that welcomes you guys, and you can't, you don't feel accepted in your friend group as the gap widens between your child with special needs and typical peers of his age. So really my dad's reaction has stuck with me through the years of just just recognizing the joys, the possibilities, but also some of the struggles that we would face. When a church has a special needs family that visits or perhaps there is the the opportunity to interface with special needs families in the community. What are things that Christians and local churches really need to be aware of as they interact with those with special needs and their families? Really, I can answer that from two perspectives, because I am a pastor's wife and a special needs mom, and so um, I see how our church has reached out, and then how other churches that we visited have reacted to when we come. Uh, A few of the things that our church specifically does that I think would be a blessing to any community, we offer respite nights once a quarter, and so we open up our church for families that have kids with disabilities and their siblings, and it's just kind of a night of babysitting. because parents of kids with disabilities don't get that time to themselves as often as they would like to. So offering respite nights has been a a great way that our church specifically has served the community. And really, we've had to teach our people to be accepting of any child who walks in the door. I love to tell churches, you don't have to prepare for any possibility or every possibility. You just have to love the families that show up. And so... Our goal is to never turn a family away. If they are doing the hard work of getting there on a Sunday morning, we want to be as welcoming and as accommodating as we can be. A lot of that has to do with communication between the parents and our church volunteers, and then just helping them understand that we love them, that we accept them, and that we will serve their family as well as we can. 
Sandra, I understand that there is some research that shows that children with autism spectrum disorders are almost twice as likely to never attend church compared to typical children. So how can parents actually equip their children to interact better with children who experience special needs? Now, one great way to start is just to talk about diversity in God's creation, and we do that from when our kids are very little, very young. We talk about the different races, the different languages. We also talk about differing abilities that our kids have. And so when we see a child in a wheelchair or we see a child who has a service dog or or something visible, we can very easily help our kids understand that that they were created by God with, with different abilities and different levels of understanding and that those aren't bad differences, that those are just like any other differences in the way God does creation. And so um, so we write, we can start those conversations when our kids are very young. In fact, uh, there's a new character on Sesame Street who is a, a little girl with autism. And so um, the world is helping teach our kids from a very young age that these differences are okay and acceptable. And then I think those challenges grow as our kids hit uh, their teenage years, youth group years, you know, everybody wants to conform and be as alike as possible. And our kids with autism and other social challenges, they're, they're just different. They may not be able to communicate in the same way or act the way that they're expected to act. And so as parents, we have to just keep encouraging our typical kids, especially our kids in churches, to be welcoming and to be loving and to be kind to any kids who come in and any kids who are part of our church family. Sandra Peoples here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to the website sandrapeoples.com. Next on this edition of The Intersection podcast, related to the open enrollment period for the Affordable Care Act, which expires on December the 15th of 2018, Michael Gardner, Senior Director of Christian Care Ministries, which operates the MetaShare Healthcare Sharing Program, discussed healthcare trends and explained some of the dynamics of Christian healthcare sharing. From that conversation, this is Michael Gardner. I think you know the biggest thing that we've seen, you know, since last year, is that there are an awful lot more options for people, and and that's a good thing, right? There, are, you know, anytime people have more choices, that's a great that's a great thing, um, and we're happy to be one of those choices. So, you know, today Medishare is about four hundred thousand members all across the United States. As you mentioned, this is our twenty fifth anniversary, and so um, we're you know we're an option for folks, and it's great to be able to talk with you and help people understand what this is. You know, it's at this time of year, you, you know, you need to make a decision. Most people need to make a decision this time of year about what they think their health care needs are going to be for the upcoming year. And it's really an important decision because, you know, it has an impact on your family's budget. It has an impact on your family's health. And we want to make sure that people can make an informed decision about that. Well, I know one of the themes that you concentrate on is just being a good steward of the resources that God has given to us. So when we talk about the so-called Affordable Care Act, are people finding that to be a reality in their lives, that health care is actually affordable for them as a result of this, this expansion of government into that area to a greater degree? 
It, you know, it really runs the gamut. Uh, you know, for, for MediShare, our average cost for a family right now is just under $400 a month. And so, you know, anecdotally, we, we hear from people that MediShare helps them save five, six, $700 a month. And, you know, that's one of the, the goals of the organization is to help people save that uh, that money so they can do more with it. You know, the, the heart of our organization is, you know, we're a faith-based organization, and we take our motivation from the early church that we see described in the book of Acts, where believers came together and shared their possessions, shared their lives, and people's needs were met. And, you know, at its most basic level, that's what we're here to do, is to help people lift one another's healthcare burdens. But more and more, what we hear from people are stories about what they're doing with that savings. And that's really the, the impact I think a program like this can have. You know, we can help people save money so that they can, you know, launch ministries. We hear about people adopting children or homeschooling children when they didn't think they'd ever be able to do those things. Or, you know, going to seminary, launching ministries and small businesses of their own. And so, you know, however people are called, you know, however God is calling people, you know, to do work in the kingdom, that's what we want to be here to support. And one of the ways we do that is through savings, but we're also a community of prayer. So, you know, our staff prays with members when they call in with questions. Our members pray for one another when they have medical needs, and that's the heart of the organization. From a biblical standpoint, what do you see as some of the principles upon which, I guess what you might say, community health care might be based? Sure. I mean, the, the whole idea here is that people are going to come together to solve, you know, to solve these challenges and lift one another up. Uh, you know, as I mentioned, we do have members who pray for one another all the time. Our staff prays with people. As an, as an organization that's faith-based, we do have a statement of faith that we all ask all of our prospective members to review to make sure they understand the community that they're going to join, because, you know, it's a community based upon shared values, you know, in a shared belief system. And we want to make sure that people understand that that's what they're joining, because when you call in, our, our representatives are going to ask to pray with you, and they're going to pray with you. And we want to make, make sure that that's, you know, that that's what people expect, and, and that's what they, uh, they come to experience as well. So, you know, we have that statement of faith. We also do have certain um, other requirements that we ask of people. We do ask our members to be tobacco-free. Uh, we ask them certainly not to use illegal drugs or to abuse alcohol or prescription drugs as well. Um, and there are certain things, too, that are, are not going to be eligible for sharing. For example, abortion. You know, our, our members would not share in, in procedures like that. And, you know, it does provide a choice for people that honors their faith and that honors their values as well. Michael Gardner here on The Intersection. You can learn more at metashare.org. Finally, on this edition of The Intersection podcast, it's Scott Whitlock, associate editor for Newsbusters, an arm of the Media Research Center. He brought listeners up to date on more instances of certain people being blocked on Twitter and analyzed the landscape of how social media outlets are limiting conservative and Christian viewpoints. From that conversation, this is Scott Whitlock now. They can do what they want, but the, 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 we would like to think in America that we would all abide by the spirit of free speech. And yes. certainly the idea that someone can be banned or restricted because... Uh, they only believe there's two genders or they don't they don't want to use certain pronouns is uh, it's bizarre. And, and we, so, yeah, so we have these outlets. Google is doing that. Google. Uh, we also have another article about how Google is uh, has been trying to um, keep certain conservative uh, sites like Breitbart and Daily Caller from popping up in people's uh, news feeds. So it is a real attempt to censor speech, to censor uh, thought 
that is is coming from the left. You have a lot of these people. They're they're in California. They're uh, Facebook and Google and Twitter have a lot of liberals um, in their company who are not open to conservative thought. Uh, they they say that they like diversity, but they don't really like diversity of thought. So this is something that um, conservatives, Christians. Uh, kind of you know, independence, moderates of all stripes, if you believe in free speech, this is very important, and this is something that we have to fight, because uh, social media is not going to go away. The question is, are we going to be allowed to express ourselves freely and openly on these plat- platforms or not? Because if not, I can tell you, then we're going to go back to uh, what we thought we escaped um, in the 60s, 70s, 80s, as far as uh, you know, just having three networks who are going to tell you uh, what is and is not acceptable speech. Well, Scott Whitlock joining us today from Newsbusters, an arm of the Media Research Center, and we appreciate the work of MRC keeping us informed with respect to these areas of, well, a, a, a variety of types of media, including social media. Also very thankful for an organization to which we belong, National Religious Broadcasters, NRB, which has launched Internet Freedom Watch to really to keep an eye on how these things are progressing and to inform its constituency about some of the abuses these social media companies are taking part in. So what would you say from a from a standpoint as far as fighting back, if you will, what could be done about this? After all, these are huge major conglomerates here. Well, I think there's, I mean, there's an, a number of things. Certainly we have Congress um, that has been, you know, uh, that they are looking into them and they should. Uh, and we've, you know, not just in the United States, you've had um, in uh, the United Kingdom, they're investigating to some of the things that they are doing as far as um, Facebook and Twitter. Uh, so there's that. We as Americans can uh, encourage our political leaders to hold them accountable, but also just on a kind of day-to-day individual, um, you know, uh, as individuals, you just have to to hold them to account uh, through letting people know, through being active uh, in, on these platforms and uh, on Newsbusters and the MRC. We're certainly uh, calling them out and alerting uh, the media, alerting other uh, forms of media that that they're doing this. And we just have to keep saying um, that this is not acceptable. And and the pressure does work. We saw with Jesse Kelly, he was banned completely, you know, arbitrarily. And uh, conservatives, uh, independents of all stripes, stripes spoke out against it, and they backed off. So I think that they know that there is a kind of logical consist- inconsistency uh, going uh, on here at these organizations, because when they when they're really called out about it, they uh, you know they back off. But if, if you don't do that, if you don't tell other people, if you don't uh, you know write about it, blog about it, uh, talk about it on, on radio shows, then then they're going to think that they can get away with it. So I think it is really uh, important uh, for as in- individuals to speak out about it and also for conservative organizations like uh, the Media Research Center and Newsbusters to highlight this uh, for people to say, hey, you know, this isn't acceptable. Um, so, you know, I, I think that those are kind of the, the best ways to do it. Uh, you know, we saw examples like uh, Megan McCain uh, when her father died, um, someone on Twitter uh, doctored a gif and said basically i hope someone kills you too and her husband uh, ben dominic who's a conservative um pundit and author 
it took him, you know, he, he had to call out Jack Dorsey and say repeatedly, hey, th- this is still on your site, this Twitter threat against my wife. And so to the, all, the extent that we can, I think all of us have to um, call them out and just say that, you know, we're not going to kind of uh, passively allow this sort of censorship to uh, take place and go forward. Scott Whitlock here on The Intersection. You can find out more at newsbusters.org. We're nearing the end of this edition of the Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. Find out more at meetinghouseonline.info or go to the programming section at faithradio.org. You'll find a link to the media center marked Meeting House On Demand through which you can listen to or download full conversations with recent guests on the Intersection Podcast. You can also subscribe to the Intersection and have it delivered to your podcast receiving software, including iTunes, each week. The Intersection Podcast is accessible through the Faith Radio app. Learn more about downloading it for your smartphone or tablet by going to faithradio.org. Also at the Meeting House homepage, there are links to two blogs. One is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. The other is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. You can also follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. And there is a link to video content. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info or visit faithradio.org and scroll over to the programming section. Thanks for joining me for this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.